Good morning. Hey there. Welcome. Welcome to worship at University Heights United Methodist Church. I'm Pastor David. Shirley Green's our liturgist today, and I will also be doing the children's moment. It's great to welcome you today, those listening on the radio or uh, online. We welcome you as well. If you're visiting with us today, it's great to have you with us. There are some uh, little note cards in the pews that we encourage folks to fill out to share information with us so we can respond with great care to you. It is wonderful to be together. Some of you I know probably have had challenging weeks. Others of you hopefully have had blessings. You know, just, just as a little a time here, anyone have something they're especially excited about this morning? Just shout it out. Anybody's have a great week? All right. Yes, you made it here. We're thankful. It's the simple blessings of just being together with family, navigating that bridge that's closed. You know, it's great to be together. Good, good. What, the, what's that? The Pacers won? Hey, we're getting close to Easter. Miracles can happen. All right. So that's great, great news. All right. Well, we're in the midst of uh, the Lenten season. I hope that you are finding yourself growing closer to Christ through whatever your Lenten discipline might be. Just as a reminder, we continue to offer a Lenten Bible study on Sunday mornings right after this service as we think more in depth about some of the witnesses to the cross. Uh, next weekend, next Saturday, March the 26th, 7.30 in the morning, there is a men's breakfast at Christ UMC. Um, G.L. Woods is going to be there and share his remarkable testimony. So encourage those men in our, in our group today to be uh, thinking about that and attending that breakfast next week. Dick Duvall, our usher back there, uh, knows all about this event and would love to tell you more about uh, how you can participate. Also, in a couple weeks, April 2nd, that's also a Saturday, our church is hosting an Easter egg hunt um, and also another Kids Sensational Saturday. So the Easter egg hunt... 11.15, I believe, is the start time, and that's for kids of all ages, little to older. And then Sensational Saturdays is our ministry for elementary school-age kids. It's going to be a great morning, great team of volunteers helping out. You could help out, perhaps, think about that, but especially encourage uh, children, grandchildren you know to attend on April the 2nd. As we prepare for worship, why don't you greet those around you with a little bit of the joy that God has offered you today. Good morning, good morning. I invite you to 
Take a deep breath this morning, settle into the presence of God that is in this place as we greet God in prayer this morning in anticipation of worship. Most holy creator, redeemer, and sustainer of our lives, our praise is lifted to you for your holiness, for your faithfulness, for your forgiveness. As we come to you, Lord, as we humble ourselves, as we show our strength by being weak and apologizing before you, you make us strong, you make us alive. Reveal to us the great power that is found in confession and turning to you and trusting you and living for you. We bring you all of our praise, all of our adoration, all of our faith in this time of worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Stand as you are able and join with me in the call to worship. Wrap yourself in healing love of God. We seek the Spirit's presence in our lives. Know that God continually surrounds us with patience and persistence. Even though we make strong dis wrong decisions and neglect to submit ourselves to Christ, God forgives us and heals our weakness. Rejoice! Great is the Lord and great to be praised. We will turn our lives great to Jesus Christ to serve and seek God's presence. Join with me in the hymn of praise, Alleluia, what a Savior, number 165.
join with me in the opening prayer. Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and spirits this morning, Lord, that we may be healed of our faithlessness, freed from our fears and anxieties, healed from our guilt of past mistakes, and placed on the pathway that leads to peace and service to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our affirmation of faith this morning is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our hymn of praise this morning is, is Ah, Holy Jesus, number 289.
Stephen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is Isaiah 53. Wait a minute, I've got the wrong one. No, I haven't. Wrong again. Isaiah 53, 1 through 11. Who has believed that we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he has no form or majesty. And we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, stuck, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him he was punished that made us whole, and by his bruises we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By a persevision of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living stricken for the transgressions of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of God to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his day, although through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish, anguish, we shall see light, and he shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The word of God for the people of God. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There... A centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. 
I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him, and the bearer stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. This is the gospel lesson this morning, Luke 23, 33 through 34, and 44 through 47. When they came to the place that was called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. It was now about noon, and the darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed and the curtains of the temple was torn in two. When Jesus then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, unto your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Then the centurion saw what had taken place. He praised God and said, Certainly, this man was innocent. And at this time, I'd like to invite our children forward for this morning's message. Good morning, friends. Good to see you. Looking wonderful today. It's a nice day. Are, are some of you on spring break, or, or is it getting close? Do you, do you have spring break from school? It's getting close. Are you looking forward to it? Got some th ideas of what you're going to do for fun with some time off? You know, when I think of spring, one of the things that naturally comes to my mind are flowers, right? Springtime, flowers. So my friend Christy, I think, has a picture of one particular type of flower that she's going to put, oh well, maybe not. It's gonna grow, this particular type of flower. Do you know what, do you know what this type of flower is called? That looks like a sunflower, yes. Sunflowers are pretty cool, did you know that? They're like 
over 4,000 years old. They've been growing in the Americas since way before the time of Jesus. They can be used for food. Have any of you ever had sunflower seeds, like as a snack? You can use the oil from them. Some people have used them for medicine, coloring things, like for fabric. Uh, did you know they can grow to be 16 feet tall? That's like, that's like three of me, or a little bit, you know, like on top of myself. That is huge, isn't it, Lorelei? Did you know the inside of a sunflower is made up of like a thousand little flowers? All inside there. Yeah, that's pretty cool too. One of the things that I love the most, oh, it finally grew. That's beautiful. It kind of opens up. It looks like a sun, right? A sunflower looks like a sun. But one of the coolest things about sunflowers is they actually turn towards the sun. So what I'm thinking of is I have a dog at home and when I get out one of his little treats and I wave it in the air, his little eyes just follow it, right? They just, wherever I go, he's just like, I want that. And just staring at it. That's like the sunflower when it sees the sun. It like turns towards it so it can get light. It needs a lot of sun to grow, right? So it just keeps following it. And then at the end of the day, it turns back towards the east because that's where the sun's going to come from when it rises in the morning. So sunflowers are super smart that way. And they remind me of how we kind of need to have that same thought in terms of keeping our eyes on who Jesus is. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about we who fix our eyes upon Jesus, so we turn and look towards Jesus with our life, trying to learn from him, listen to him, understand what he teaches us, and especially see who he really cares about. Jesus was incredible about caring about all kinds of different people. And so we have a little sunflower project for you and for the congregation. As we think about sunflowers, as we think about keeping our eyes on Jesus and thinking about the people Jesus cares about, we're especially aware of some people right now that are in a tough situation. And that is because their country is dangerous right now because there's war in their country. And some people have had to leave their homes and find new homes in other countries. My parents have a friend whose son and, and girlfriend had to flee Ukraine and find another home in another country. So we are praying for and we are thinking about how we as friends of Jesus can now be friends of people who are in harm's way, soldiers who are risking their lives, people who are facing the atrocities of war. And this flower, the sunflower, has actually become a symbol of peace and unity with the people in Ukraine. So you guys are gonna get us started and you're gonna be coloring some of these and on the side you're gonna be writing prayers for the people of Ukraine and for peace around the world and then you're gonna show the congregation how to do that too, all right? And we're gonna put them up around the church and so people from the congregation are gonna get some of these too to take home and work on and we'll see if any of them can draw near as good as you, all right? Yeah, that'll be cool. And we're going to put them up there by the coffee bar so we can see each other's drawings and each other's prayers for people who are suffering. Because we want to keep our eye on Jesus and we want to keep our eye on the people that God is so concerned about. All right? Cool, cool, cool. Well, I'm going to say a prayer for you so you can get going on your, on your coloring. Thank you, Lord God, for the gift of spring, the gift of beautiful flowers like sunflowers that grow so big. And we are so in awe of how they turn towards the sun to get that light. And Lord, we pray that we would turn towards you 
and towards your Son, who gives us strength and love for those who are hurting and who need our prayers. We lift all of our praise to you in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Cool. Who wants to color mine? You want to take mine? Oh, yeah, yeah. Help me out. All right. We have a, a guest with us today who would like to share with us his side of the story from this morning's gospel reading. We welcome back our good friend, the Centurion. Good to have you back from last year, friend. There you are. I'm not unfamiliar with death. I've spent my life as a soldier in the service of the Empire. Early in my career, there are certainly long periods of time in which not one day passed that I did not see a fellow soldier or an enemy spill their blood on the ground. And of course, for the past year, I've been the commander of this detachment, charged with guarding prisoners and overseeing executions. I've seen the worst of humanity, both among those who die and have come to watch. I was on an assignment that I would not have chosen, but when word comes from on high, a soldier does not question orders. But today, today I have questions. It was soldiers under my command who carried out Pilate's orders to flog him. It was soldiers under my command who followed him through the streets to the place of the skull. It was soldiers under my command who tied the ropes and hammered the spikes that held him to the cross. And my soldiers were busy carrying out their orders, as it was I, Centurion Longinus, who on the order of the authorities nailed the sign above his head. This is Jesus, it said, King of the Jews. I had heard of him, of course, heard of great wonders and wise teachings from those who followed him, of rebellion and treason from the authorities of the region. I've heard him called a troublemaker, Messiah, a rabble-rouser, a healer, a criminal, and a savior. How can one know what to believe? Today, today I have questions. I've heard the last words of dozens, perhaps hundreds, of men in my lifetime. I've heard them pleading for mercy, cursing those who have sentenced them, and even babbling nonsense. Today, Today, I, obedient soldier Longinus, saw a death like none I have ever witnessed. The sun had hidden itself for several hours by the time he died. The world felt strange, uneasy, draped in a shadow of death. And when he died, the uneasiness erupted into chaos. It rumbled and quaked, and we struggled to keep our footing. I would remember all of that, no doubt. What I remember even more are the words I heard him speak just before the moment of death. He turned his face to the sky and cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Why did he look to heaven and call upon his father? Just who was he talking to? 
Why did he speak as though great work had been completed? Today I have questions. It confuses me. I've, I've never seen someone die like that. Just no fear. Just purpose. And meaning. And the world and nature it acted like it responded to this man's death. Like it mourned him. Indeed, the world shook today. My world shook today. Who was this man, Jesus? King of the Jews, a Messiah? Soldiers are not trained to discuss royalty or theology, nor should we be caught for considering such things. But all that has happened makes you wonder. Today, today I have questions. Was this man the Son of God? And if so, what now? Well, gracious God, thank you for this space and this time to reflect on your story with us. The story of Christ and his interaction with the centurion soldier. Bring wisdom, bring faith, bring renewed obedience to you in our reflection of this word. May our thoughts, may our questions, may our commitments to you give you glory. Raise up your holy name, I pray in Christ. Amen. Well, friends, for me it is the most wonderful time of the year. It's not Christmas, I do love, but it is college basketball tournament time. And I am excitedly watching a variety of different games, cheering on underdogs, uh, ways to celebrate the achievements of these student athletes. And I was watching one particular game, it was coming down to the very end, and uh, Players under the basket were pushing and shoving for a rebound, and it ricocheted off a player, and the ball went out of bounds, and immediately the referee awarded the ball to the team that had just taken the shot, the offensive team. The defenders were outraged. It should be our ball, our ball they argued. And so the referees wisely went to the instant replay. You can hardly watch a sporting event nowadays without a break in the action, to go see the instant replay. So the announcers are droning on with some lifeless story as the referees are staring at a little tiny screen. And then finally, the main official steps to the center of the court and says something along the lines of this. Watchers on TV, those in the stadium, I was wrong. I saw the ball go out of bounds one way, but after looking at the tiny TV screens, I have now learned that my decision was an error. It was a horrible problem, and I will have to live with the guilt of my bad call. But thankfully, we can restore justice in this moment and give the ball to the right team. I am so sorry. Or something like that. That's kind of what he said. It's hard to say you're sorry, right, to admit that you're wrong. I have trouble admitting at times that I've made a mistake. In fact, just two days ago, 
I was on the way into church for the morning. I was looking for a cord that connects from my phone into my old minivan stereo. I could not find it anywhere. And so Cindy came and saw me scrounging around. What are you doing, David? And I said, I'm looking for the cord that you moved out of the car. And she said, I didn't, I didn't move your cord. Of, yes, you, did. you were the last one that drove this car. It's no longer here. You must have moved it somewhere. I will find it. I did find it in the little drawer where I always put it when I'm not using it. Um, so Cindy said, do you have something to say? And I said, yes, I'm glad my cord's not lost. And then there's staring and foot stomping, and then I have to say, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. It was so hard. I'm sorry I was wrong that I said that you moved the cord. It, why is it so difficult to admit our mistakes? Uh, Psychology Today magazine says that we have this tendency to deny objective fact, we resist admitting that we were wrong because that reveals in us a fragile self-esteem. Admitting a mistake is too threatening to our egos. And so we distort reality a little to make things less frightening. Admitting we are wrong is unpleasant. It is humbling. It takes a, a certain amount of emotional strength and courage to deal with the truth. I have flaws. And some of us do not want to feel that pain, don't want to feel weakened, incapable. So we change facts in our mind. So now we have a story where we are no longer wrong. And the outside world looks upon this defiant lack of apology positively. Because to them, it looks like we're confident, right? Look, he's standing his ground. She's not backing down. He is self-assured. She's poised. He's not insecure. She doesn't crumble under pressure. We can follow someone like that. This persuasive temptation to not apologize. Don't admit you were wrong. If you act strongly enough that your decisions were right, then they will be. I believe that conviction may have been particularly convincing to the centurion who was leading his century of 80 soldiers. He was the sergeant. His men would follow his lead. They had to be obedient, and they would be, particularly if he was a model of unwavering strength, clear decision-making, lack of mistakes. We know the story of the trial, the sentencing and the crucifixion of Jesus. We witness the repeated brutality on the part of the soldiers. Fear tactics, the crown of thorns, the spitting in of verbal abuse, physical whippings and scourgings. These would have all occurred through the centurion's leadership. He either prescribed them or failed to curtail them. The soldiers were only following his orders. Our centurion was probably operating on 15 years of experience or more. This was not his first public execution. He knew how to dehumanize, 
how to strike fear in observers, how to compel and seize witnesses to be part of this ritual execution. It was all a practice that was routine to him. More than likely, the centurion was proud of his work. He was compensated well for his service. He had a position of privilege. Other foot soldiers wanted to ascend to this level of rank. He was enacting Rome's vision. So there's no pause, there's no hesitation, no questioning, no sense of wrongdoing in how he treats Jesus. He's doing his work. There is no moment of pause, of wavering, until the end, until this shocking confession. Jesus is positioned among the two criminals, counted among the lawless. His body is already broken as the soldiers secure him for more torture. And while his palms are being nailed onto that crossbeam, Jesus is offering forgiveness to them. Jesus is struggling for breath and last words. The natural world around this execution hill is rumbling and shaking. Jesus succumbs to brutality. He offers himself in one last breath in a prayer of consecration, Lord, into your hands I commend my spirit. And with confidence in God's reception of his life, Jesus dies. And witnessing these events, Luke quotes the centurion as saying, this man was innocent. Now, it's not the first time anyone's called Jesus innocent. Pilate said Jesus was innocent three times. Herod of Antipas claimed him as innocent. Even one of the other criminals on the cross with him said, this is an innocent man. But the soldiers' words seem heavier. As if they are an admission of some form of guilt. Jesus doesn't deserve this treatment. This playing out of public state-sponsored murder. He is a rural, itinerant preacher. He doesn't deserve this. And the centurion seems to acknowledge he's participating in this state-sanctioned crime. More than that, more than simply being innocent. The centurion is saying Jesus is good. I mean, the Greek that he utilizes here holds the weight of deep righteousness. This man is deeply righteous, devout, committed to the right things of God. He's refusing to save himself, refusing to make excuses, refusing to wallow in fear and pain in the front face of powerful Rome. This man has complete peace. He shows obedience to his God in ways that we can only long for. And he seems to receive some power that is transcendent even to our time and place and country. In this mystery, in this confusion, the centurion seems to experience this power and the freedom it brings. I was wrong. I was wrong about this man Jesus. I was wrong about participation in his murder. I was wrong about my confidence in Rome for salvation. We don't hear him 
say these words. Maybe those are my hopeful thought words. Or maybe these words are implied when Luke says, the centurion praised God and said, this man was innocent. Somehow experiencing God's presence in his life and uttering back out in words of faith, Lord God, I am sorry. You are holy. It's a miraculous conversion. Maybe perhaps too miraculous for some of you to even believe. How with his life experience, how with his training, how with his place of security and privilege, how with his role within the Roman machine, could he possibly switch allegiance so quickly? Is this kind of spiritual awakening, this kind of confession and apology and transformation really possible? This week I was reading a 2019 book review of two memoirs written by men who were wrongly persecuted and convicted of crimes and sentenced to death row. Golgotha for the 21st century. The two men, both named Anthony, African-American men, led remarkably similar lives, grew up with no-nonsense mothers in the rural South, both loved baseball, both were in the time of creating family in their life, both of them had a previous record, one thievery, one drug possession, but those are years ago. Both of them had not relapsed. Both were living upstanding lives. Both misunderstood why they were being handcuffed and taken to the station for questioning. Anthony, number one, was working in a locked warehouse when a restaurant manager 15 miles away was robbed and shot. Anthony, number two, was asleep in his mother's living room when six people 35 miles away were killed. They had multiple witnesses to their whereabouts, but both men's alibis were ignored. We've all lost the sense of surprise at probably what happened next to these two Anthonys. False accusations by criminals, other prisoners who were trying to save their skin, mistaken identities from faulty lineups, manufactured evidence, expert witnesses, fabricating stories, attorneys who were either incompetent or overpriced, politically motivated prosecutors and judges who were willing to condemn innocent black men in order to rack up more convictions. Anthony Graves was arrested before his 27th birthday and exonerated when he turned 45. Anthony Hinton was arrested at the age of 29 and exonerated two months before turning 59. That's a long time to live in a five by seven cell, always hot or always cold, only seeing other human faces one hour a day, listening to other men being escorted off to their death, wondering when your number is gonna be called. Praise God, these two men experienced freedom from physical death that Jesus did not experience in that way. What's, what's our right response to them? You know, when the criminal justice system fails or any system fails, where is the gift of apology or remorse for them 
all who played a part in their suffering, who has the courage to repent, to confess. Ways must change. Even those who were not, judge, jury, there, can we, can we even have the courage to repent of either the racism or the lack of empathy that leads to the false conviction of these innocent men? Who, who says, surely these men were innocent? Whose voice is that? Can God still create changed hearts, transformations in the way we see? Do we have the boldness to say to God and to our neighbor, we've been wrong? And then what happens next? <laughs> now, how does, how does this turn out for the centurion? If he really expressed his, his conviction, his conversion, I don't, I don't think his fellow shoulders or soldiers are going to be excited about his you know, Jesus moment. His very life would be threatened. Did, did he return to this rigid refusal to be honest? I'm not going to say I'm wrong. I'm afraid. I'm going to be strong without apology? Or did he display the greatest power, that is humility, weakness, honesty, sharing with others? No, this is what I really heard and saw and now believe. Is there space for us to say, I was wrong? What's that cost for you? How will you be perceived? Will anyone allow you to admit that you were wrong and give space for healing? Does our faith beckon us to speak that truth, to find our strength in this humble weakness? I've seen how instant replay can change the minds of some very confident people. For the repentant centurion, it was the play of the Holy Spirit in that moment. You think it might be unbelievable. I think it's unbelievable to consider how Jesus receives the soldier. The one who participated in and led his ex execution is somehow going to be forgiven. That Jesus was praying for him to be forgiven even before he nailed his hands and spoke a word. God and Jesus Christ always seeking to turn lives, release them from their evil and set them free, his legacy, the reception of irredeemable people by whom through their confession and God's amazing grace are made well. So can we, with, with our hearts wide open, turn to God, say we are wrong, and still be received no matter what? God still birthing these remarkable conversions, releasing us from those rhythms of harm and giving us new steps of compassion. Maybe such a shift in us could lead us to say to our neighbor and the community and the world, I'm sorry I've harmed you rather than loved you. I've, I've been wrong. We are there with the century, seeing the innocent one save us, Free us so we can make the right call with our lives and with eternity. Thanks be to God.
overflowing grace. You fill our every need. You satisfy our every hunger. We come before you. Our mouths are filled with praise and gratitude for your wonderful gifts, for your wonderful name. For generation to generation, you have sustained your people. When we encounter the storms of life, you are our refuge. You nurture us as your own children. And yet we are still prone to turn away, to succumb to fear, to lack the strength to be honest that we are broken and have hurt others. We do not always honor you. Spare your frustration of us. Merciful God, forgive us. Free us to follow with joy in your righteous ways like the one who was righteous and innocent upon the cross. Sustain us by your Spirit, Lord. Anoint us that we may be your witnesses calling the nations to come to you, to turn to you, to acknowledge that we desperately need you. Your tender mercy and compassion extends beyond our ability to comprehend. We commit to your loving care this day, our loved ones. We pray for your presence and healing to be upon Georgia Hoddle, Bev Riffle, preparing for surgery, for Phil Melick and Wanda Hampton, recovering from surgery, for the struggles and turmoils of the Lambert's daughter, and for other concerns, Lord, that rest upon our hearts, upon our, uh, our minds that you know so very well. Take these, Lord God, in the shadow of your wings. Uphold them with your right hand. Give them strength to bear these trials. Give healing, peace, and comfort. We know that those who call upon your name rejoice. Help us to rejoice anew as we pray in the name of Jesus Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Lord, our offering is the first of our earnings, and we show that you are the source of everything, and we are dependent on you. It is our way of worship and honor to you, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. who assisted with worship today from skits to liturgy to music ministries to hustling around this space Carissa nice hustle all around to, to offer us music this morning do we have the courage the real strength to apologize to make space for others to apologize and allow them to heal with us will we like the sunflower turn and admit our need for Christ and to seek his face. Go forth with that as your goal, as your longing this day. In his holy name, amen. <laughs> 